0: This episode is brought to you by Not Alone Co. It has been such a pleasure for us at Not Alone Co to create our little Not Alone community. We want to be able to utilize the messaging on our apparel in order to help facilitate tough and meaningful conversations with your loved ones. Community, conversation, and vulnerability. This is a journey and mental health isn't a battle to be won. We at Not Alone Co are here to remind you that you are never alone and it's okay to not be okay. Use code NAC10 at checkout for 10% off your order, which helps us donate portions of the proceeds to various mental health charities and foundations. That's code NAC10 at checkout. We love you and you're not alone. All right. So I got to, I got to ask, do you have a brother?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I, I I heard you're on sportsology a while ago with my brother.
0: It was so funny because when you reached out to us, I, uh, I scanned through your profile and I'm like, dude, this, is, I was like, this is weird. I'm like, I swear I know this guy, but then I'm like, yeah. I, I don't think his name was Taylor. And then I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God. I was like, so what's the age difference? So he's, uh, we're four birth years apart,
1: but it's closer to five because I'm a January birthday. And he's a December. Okay. So um yeah, it was funny when I told him I was coming on the podcast because I remember he interviewed you a while ago. I mentioned to him, and right away he's like, "Oh, great dude, <laughs> great dude." So, so it's um it was pretty funny how that worked out. But uh, but yeah, he's doing more uh more some more sport media stuff, making a lot of TikToks and uh, and debriefing different trending topics. So it's been fun for him lately.
0: Yeah, I saw that my favorite TikTok of his is that one of the dads in the corner. I think that was him, right? Where he like, yeah, he does like five different poses of like a classic hockey, hockey dad watching from I, I the corner. I think I've seen that one. <laughs> yeah. I saw that one. I was like, yeah. like, I can't remember which one it was, but my dad was like the epitome of the one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's, uh, there's the stretcher. There's the, the glass banger. There was uh, arms crossed with the aggressive gum chewing. Oh, there's a bunch.
2: <laughs> That was, my dad's the arm cross aggressive gum chewing, Especially if I wasn't playing well, like I would know, I, I like the harder he was chewing his gum. Oh the yeah. Worse I was playing. Yeah.
0: My oh, dad, yeah. you, my dad usually like he would be, if things were good, he would kind of just be nonchalant. But as soon as he was into it and you could tell when he was into it, it was either a really good game or a really bad game. He would like yeah. put his elbow on the glass, like where it meets the glass and like, just like put his hand right here. And just like show no emotion, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I gotta either figure it out or I gotta either keep it going. But anyways, Taylor, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a it's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I guess we kind of just wanted to start with you know where you at now and like what's uh, what's been going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so presently, I'm just um, I'm running a company called Upper Mentality where I do mental performance consulting for uh, a wide range of athletes, predominantly hockey players. Uh, from professional right down to youth sport, just helping them learn the mental skills that I, I wish I knew growing up, you know, just how to build confidence, uh, what mental toughness really is, et etc. Uh, so I've been doing that since I finished up grad school, as well as during grad school, but I've, I really started to, um, well, I had more time on my hands, so I started to really market it more and pour more time and effort into it. And, you know, I'm really excited to see what's uh, what's next for upper mentality.
2: Why? Why the mental health space? What's uh, like sport background? Maybe give us your sport background and like, is this something that you've always wanted to do, or as you sort of, kind of experience these different um, emotions and whatever, like to your own sport, was it more of an interest as you start to learn more?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, You know growing up, I, you know, I always played hockey, uh, never, never had the wheels to play at a super high level. I was, you know, we talked about the hockey gestures for me, it was always this one, move your feet, move your feet, uh, kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, like for me, like just as I, as I started to realize that, you know, hockey wasn't going to be something I was going to do long-term and just became more for fun, really in high school. Um, I just, I, I knew I wanted to pursue a career in sports. Now what that looked like, I wasn't quite sure because, for me, it was like, oh, like, do I want to be an agent? Do I want to be a physiotherapist? And, you know, I came across sports psychology and I'm like, this is really cool. I get to work with athletes, but also like help coach them and, and help them work through maybe problems or issues. And, and that really appealed to me just because growing up, I, I was always that person who people knew they could come to if they needed to talk about something. Um, And so I did my undergrad in sports psychology, um, got my first taste of consulting uh, in my fourth year and then decided to go on and do a master's and go on to become an accredited mental performance consultant where my work is subclinical. So I'm not qualified to to work directly with mental health. However, the mental skills I teach can also have a positive impact on uh, an athlete's mental health. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I just think growing up, like I was never one of those players who always had a spot on the team. Like I always had to fight for any opportunity and just, if I would have had a better understanding on again, like how to build, um, whether it be confidence or mental toughness or, you know, why mistakes actually have value and why taking risks is important. It just would have made that that much easier for me. And that's something that I think really drives me when I look to help. Um, different players
0: these days and so especially like once you're getting into this space and um i think you were pretty zoned in on sports instantly like what yeah i mean you grew up on teams you were able to experience sport but i guess like what what is that one thing i mean everybody's vision of sport is is different i mean especially mm-hmm. if you're playing an individual sport rather than a team sport but i know for me i know riles is probably the same way like um we're biased because it's hockey but hockey is just it's so fascinating to watch a group be able to come together over a season or not be able to come together. It is it is very mm-hmm. interesting to look back on your teams and to see the progress, to see the growth within individuals within that team. So I guess what drew you to sport originally? What was it like, you know, is there certain values in sport where you're like, I'd like to continue to kind of focus in on those values? Is there something that, you know, I guess, going back to your days, like, was there certain moments where you can reflect on and be like, that's something I definitely wish I would have known more about the values that come along with this sport? I don't know. It's kind of an interesting Mm. question, but I guess that's kind of where my head goes. Yeah.
1: In terms of why I'm drawn to sport, I think it's just been, it's just been something I've always been passionate about. You know what you just, and I never really had to be forced to go do those extra skates. And obviously I had the privilege and the accessibility to, you know, play a lot of hockey on top of um, just the regular registration. So for me, it was just always a passion. And I really, I think back to some of my earliest memories, you know, Hockey Night in Canada, Matt Sundin on the Leafs, right? Like, I'm really going back here, age, aging myself a little bit. Are you are you um, a Toronto
2: guy? Like, are you, are you from the Toronto area?
1: Yeah, I'm from the GTA.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: yeah so, grew up uh just about 45 50 minutes north of toronto for most of my life and um so yeah that so i think that's one of the
0: things that just i was always drawn to in that perspective but um and so i guess like to follow up that was kind of a stupid question anyways i'm gonna i want to follow up and just see like <laughs> you know, now that you're that you are focusing on sport is there you i've seen that you work with younger kids i've seen that you work with ncaa athletes over this over this little course lately is there a certain age group that you you know you want to key in on or are you kind of just like i i like to learn about an ncaa athlete struggles as much as i like to learn about a u13 kid struggles like is there obviously you're going to learn so much from each age group but now Mm. that you're in it do you want to key in or focus in on a certain age range or demographic or anything
1: A good question. Yeah, I'd say I probably resonate best with um, adolescent athletes. So whether that be, you know, U14, 15 and up right up to, you know, junior college and even into pro. Um, But I think there's so many lessons and so many values you can really learn from the younger kids. Like some of the greatest things I've learned from kids or some of the things they say, Like I learned from a U12 player or a U13 player. They just see the game so much differently. Um, You know, I was even talking with, one athlete recently and you know he mentioned to me that sometimes it's hard to have fun because you know when parents are taking it too seriously in the crowd, right? And or how um it becomes really challenging when you have a coach and, and a parent telling you two different things, right? Like you have maybe a parent who's it, I'm sure they have their best interests for their kids in mind. They're not trying to do any harm, but when you have a parent telling you to do one thing and then a coach telling you to do another thing, it becomes challenging, right? Um, So I I, sorry, long winded way of saying um, I do like adolescent and older is what I really zone in on. But I I have worked with and continue to work with plenty of U 12, 13 players
2: and sometimes younger. It's got to be a bit of like a different approach too to the conversations, right? Because like Mm -hmm. from that young age, it it seemed like to me, it seems like like playing hockey at a very high level where like, say the kid's dream is to play in the NHL it, it's just like a it's a really hard thing to achieve so you mm-hmm. have to keep your doors open to other things too right and it's a hard message i i feel like to send across to a kid who really is trying to push and I, I, to me like when i when i was reading your background and it, and it was talking about like professional of all the way down i just thought right away like i wonder how he approaches the different conversations and what his pillars are that he like leans on as he goes into those conversations based off the age that Mm -hmm. he's talking to.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think it's definitely different working with really young athletes opposed to adolescent and pro from my experiences with younger athletes. You have to be, have some more energy, be more upbeat, you know, kind of be a little more fun. Older athletes tend to conversations tend to be a little more serious, more, more, more collected. I just find they respond to typically respond to different uh, levels of energy, in that way. But in terms of those pillars, though, honestly, a lot of the different strategies I use, I I teach the same way. I might I might explain it differently, or for younger athletes, I might draw it out more. But one big message that I always come back to, no matter the athlete, is athletes need to stop waiting to feel confident to get things done. Yeah. Athletes waiting to feel confident. Holds, holds them back because, you know, you, you guys, you guys both know you guys have both played hockey at a high level. If you wait until you feel confident to do something, then you'll never get anything done at all.
2: Yeah.
1: Or or maybe I shouldn't assume what do you guys agree with that? No. Or do you...
2: it's, it's so crazy, too, because as soon as I looked at like your, your, your page and some stuff about like risk taking and I saw one clip of Donnie Granado who's like an, such an amazing coach and person. Um, it wasn't it's not the clip that applies to this topic, but the one I'm thinking of is when he talks about Tage Thompson and he's, mm-hmm. what the message that he told Tage about like, Tomer, you're a goal scorer in this league, but like don't wait for it to happen. You are like go out there and, and do it. And and when you apply it to risk taking, like I know for me, like as soon as I do something on the ice that translates into a goal scoring chance or some like something exciting happens, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm in the game and my confidence shoots up and then I'm in that flow state and, and the game becomes way easier. But if I'm in a game where I'm like just doing the safe thing every time and playing responsible, which is fine, like I'm not going to get in trouble for anything, but I'm also like losing out on opportunities to show what I can do and mm-hmm. feel good playing and enjoy it. So those are some of the things that stuck out to me. And um, when you talk about risk taking, it for sure it's it's a fine line, though, right? Like you you can't be mm-hmm. too much of a risk taker. Where now it's starting to hold your game. So, um, I'm, I'm, does that come into play in your sessions, like how to balance risk taking versus too much of it, where you're now hurting the team? Mm-hmm. All the
1: time, honestly, all the time. And you know it's it's interesting because, like you said, you don't want to play super, super risky, where you're you know, throwing pizzas up the middle multiple times a game and turning pucks over all the time. But it's that fine balance where you're smart about when you do take your risks. And and this, this whole, this concept of risk-taking comes from um, a, a friend of mine and a, and a mentor, Dr. Cassidy Preston, where he talks about how there's four zones to risk-taking. And it starts with too safe and gradually works from more safe to smart assertive and too risky. And so ideally for athletes to make the greatest impact, you wanna be in that smart assertive zone where when you see an opportunity, you take the opportunity and also sometimes dip your foot into being too risky because we have to accept that, yeah, you're gonna have really bad turnover sometimes. You know, You might be on the wrong side of the highlight reel, but if you're never willing to take those risks, you're ultimately limiting your potential impact. And so really, what is more risky? You know, Riley, I know you were just talking about it a bit here where it's like, sure, you won't necessarily get noticed for the wrong reasons, but you also are limiting your impact, right? If you if you never take risks. So what's more risky? Is it the, uh, the long-term effects of n- never taking risks? Or is it those odd moments where maybe you really mess up? And in my mind, I always have to, in, in the way I approach it, is long it hurts you a lot long term and that's something that's really hard i find for a lot of athletes to grasp however they have to seriously recognize that making mistakes is okay and part of that onus is also on the coaches and and parents to understand that as well because you know i could be in a session with an athlete and and explain to them you know why being playing more risky is important and how it can help you but if you have coaches and parents telling them oh don't Don't make mistakes today. We have to have mistake-free hockey. You can't mess up. This is a
0: must-win game. Oftentimes, the work I do can just get
1: thrown out the window. Right.
0: So I got a question that kind, like, kind of relates to risk, kind of doesn't. But uh, I want to talk about COVID. Like, I uh, Mm. I've been fortunate to now, you know, coach for the past couple of years, um, eleven and twelve year olds. And I don't know if you find this the same, but I obviously the youth I think was more deeply impacted by covid and more deeply impacted whether it's socially whether it's you know confidence based whether it's Mm self-esteem i think there is a lot that now i understand more about how you know that time away from the rink that time away from that social aspect in the dressing room that time away from all of that really did it's a profound fact on these kids that are still trying to you know still trying to figure it out themselves so Mm -hmm. how I guess obviously you would have had some work maybe before covid and now you know even after covid working especially with these younger kids like how do you how do you begin to offer that reassurance and offer that confidence that they need because i know from my experience like i don't know what it is but i do find that our youth needs a little bit more reassurance that, mm-hmm. you know, they are allowed to make mistakes and they are allowed to go out there and have fun and they are allowed to be themselves and they are allowed to, you know, just be them and make mistakes and all that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how do you find that COVID has impacted, especially our youth in the game?
1: Yeah, it's a good, it's a really good question. And it's it's something I actually haven't been asked in a while. So I, I really appreciate that question. You know, w one thing that I, I tend to come back to a lot is just how much of the prime development years were taken away from a lot of kids, you know, during COVID. Um, and particularly how that can har- harm, you know, kids that are working towards those specialization years of, you know, you 14, 15, 16, where there's kids that want to play at a high level because they want to get noticed. But then they, they took a whole year off of hockey and then they get onto a triple A team per se. And they're not playing much. And so I, for me, a lot of it is about just some kids I think are just going to be behind because they haven't had the opportunity to, to make those mistakes and to get those reps in. And so to me, a lot of it is going to be about skill development, but then also just about making sure that these kids are playing, you know, like, I'm curious what you guys have to say about this, but you know, you, you don't have to play AAA when you're, when you're 13, 14. To me, oftentimes it's far better off for a kid to play double A, play in all situations, than play three shifts in a a game in triple A. I like that. And
0: I couldn't agree more on the fact that, you know, wherever you end up after tryouts, I think it's important to just still value your development. And especially if you are getting more ice time, more opportunity. And now I kind of want to flip the coin and ask you it relates to this, but even like other sports. I mean, we've had quite a few conversations with people about other sports. And um, I know now, I don't know, I don't want to relate it to even just like me growing up. But I mean, I played lacrosse, I had buddies that played spring hockey, I had buddies that played baseball. I mean, it is interesting now. And I don't know if I just see it the one way now where it's like, it's hockey, 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 hockey. Mm -hmm. Where are you at with wanting these kids to develop their other skills and wanting these kids to go out and try other sports and try new things and meet new people and because i think that's a big thing compared to the confidence aspect of it as well because mm-hmm. if you're submersing yourself in these different locker rooms and you're submersing yourself in this different sport that requires different skills and i i just think that builds your rolodex even more but that's just me so i don't know what's mm-hmm. your thoughts on that yeah yeah
1: there, there's, I have different thoughts on it, and really depends on the age of the athlete. Now, I, I don't know this like that I don't, I don't know this model like the back of my hand, but I know there's some research posted by Dr. Jean Cote and some other colleagues where they talk about the, uh, the specialization years versus the sampling years for athletes. And when athletes are really young, you know, they should be playing a lot of sports. And when it comes to trying to get to the elite level, play athletes shouldn't really be or hockey just stick to hockey hockey players really shouldn't be specializing until they're you 15 you 16 they should be playing multiple sports for many reasons whether it be to reduce risk of burnout reduce risk of overuse injuries improve athleticism do you know have more fun and try new things because if you always do the same thing how are you ever going to really know if that's what you're going to like the most And, you know, I get it like growing up for me, like I was always hockey, hockey, hockey. And I I wanted to play three and three hockey in the summer. And, you know, I had a lot of fun, but honestly, I wish I would have played baseball or would have played more soccer because not only would it have just made me a better athlete, but I also think it would have made me a better hockey player.
2: For sure. Mm. Do you find you, you mentioned something about burnout, like how common of a topic is that? Like, especially now, like, I mean, we're talking about playing multiple sports, but like, I feel like it's just not very, com- not as common anymore. And a lot of it, I don't like, maybe it's parenting pushing their kid and like seeing the Connor McDavid role or the John Tavares pathway where mm-hmm. these, you know, like they were just phenoms. But I wonder, like, how often that's a topic of conversation where kids are coming to you and just saying, like, I'm really just not enjoying the game right now because I'm a little bit tired of it like it's just kind of getting a little mundane for me
1: mm-hmm. it, it 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 certainly comes up uh, from time to time just I, I think the other thing too is just because of how much pressure is put on a lot of youth athletes these days to perform and you know youth sport is getting so professionalized in my opinion like you know I'm not I don't want to get into it too much but just you just see the the way youth sport is framed these days versus, you know, what it was like when you know, I was growing up or you guys are growing up. Um, so I think, I think a lot of it is you just have to remind kids that, you know, hockey should be fun. And obviously, and you guys know this, once you get to a certain level, it's not always going to be fun. And, you know, elite sport is not always fun, but, you know, as they're growing up, it's just important for them to just make sure they're enjoying the game and understanding that it's, there's no harm in taking a break. You know, there's there's no harm in having to recharge. It's just similar to, you know, there's an analogy where, you know, we wouldn't let our phone get to one percent most of the time, but why do we wait for ourselves to get to one percent or zero percent to make something happen? That's wow. a great I've
2: never I've never heard that before. I like that. Yeah. Man, that's it's a good it's it's a good segue because we wanted to talk to you about professionals taking a break or like NBA and load management, like it seems like it's ruffling a lot of feathers in the sports world, and it seems like a lot of those people that are bothered by it are maybe a bit like old school mindset. And I also like I'm I'm unsure sometimes of of coming up with an opinion on it because I understand what they're doing. Like it it's some of the games you just are so out of it and you just go through the motions, and it's probably dangerous. You that's when you get hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for myself, my first year pro, I had to take a step back for a weekend because I was just, I had bad anxiety. Like I was having panic attacks and I just couldn't handle, I, I knew I couldn't go and play. So I told my agent, he told the Red Wings and I ended up taking a break for a weekend. And uh, I just said I had like a stomach flu and that's what the team told the told the guys, but they knew what was going on. So mm-hmm. I guess like, it's interesting to see where the mental health space is is going in sports. And it's, it's also, at the same time, I feel like it's a hard thing for for people to get on the same page because you're still going to have a lot of people saying, these guys signed up for it. Um, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like, this might improve the pace of play. This might improve the lives of these guys. And, and maybe we won't see as many problems post-career. So I wonder what your thoughts are on, like, the load management things and all the different stories coming out now of guys taking breaks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I think it's it's important to remember too that science has come a long way since maybe the old days. And, you know, um, so if teams are making evidence-based decisions and, you know, they believe that that's going to help the athlete not only thrive, you know, whether it be on the ice or on the pitch or on the court, but also just help them live happier and healthier lives because that's something that gets lost a lot is the fact that athletes are human. You know, as much as we may believe... Athletes are superhuman because of the incredible things they can do in their sport. They are human at the end of the day. They have responsibilities. They just like we do, they got to go get groceries. They have to pay their bills. You know, they have to do all those things. Um, And so to me, uh, I don't have an issue with load management. If it's something an athlete really needs and by all means, and you know, even Riley on that note, you were saying about when you had to take a break with the Red Wings, you're starting to see, more athletes be more open to those those realities of needing to step away from the game i believe it was uh, the penguins prospect was a poolan who took a break recently because of his anxiety Mm -hmm. you know so and you know stories like that and you know the courage of that of those athletes to come out and, and say that outright just makes it really normalizes the conversations and makes other athletes feel like it's okay to not be okay sometimes and that's
0: and a guy like Poulin, who was the first round pick not that long ago yeah
2: yeah for sure mm-hmm.
0: so i say it in my speaking quite a bit i mean mm-hmm. mental health mental fitness me- mental skills i mean it is a it's a it's an uncomfortable space. It's it's difficult, it's challenging. You know, you're bringing your vulnerability out. You're you're wanting to work on something that you don't normally work on. It's it's hard for a lot of athletes, especially to, you know, break into that space and want to break into that space and want to have those conversations. Mm. What is it, I mean, coming from a, a performance coach, coming from that side of things and, you know, working with the front necks. I mean, what is it on your end that you hope that other psychologists and mental performance coaches are doing, especially with athletes. I think, I mean, I read a bunch of your testimonials and it seems as though communication is big for you, you know, developing that trust early, but what is it that, at least for you, do you hope that, you know, for your clients, especially, but other people as well, like, what do you hope that these conversations are bringing about? What are you trying to Mm -hmm. develop at an early on, especially when, these athletes are hesitant about going into this space? Uh, to me, the, the, the
1: very start of the work is all about rapport building and just really building that relationship and that trust. Because there's gonna be, you're gonna have athletes who have different opinions and different views on um, on you know how how open they are about their work. Like some athletes wouldn't really care if people knew they worked with a mental performance coach. Others would not want a single other soul knowing. And so really respecting their confidentiality and building that trust and that rapport is easily the most important thing at the start, in, in my opinion. Now, as I continue to do the work and build that relationship, something that I'm very big on personally in my work is I want my athletes to know that I always have their back and that if they ever need anything, and seriously, they can shoot me a text and give me a call because it's important for them to know that because oftentimes you have athletes who sometimes feel like they're on an island and that they don't have that support system. You know, maybe they've moved away from home or maybe something's going on. So uh, to me, again, the, the building, relate, building relationships, building that rapport is important at the very start. And I feel like just about any mental performance coach would tell you the same thing, but also just having athletes know that you have their back if they need something, I think does wonders for the quality of, of the sessions and really just the, the quality of the work. If it's, if it's personally not to talk about, but have you guys ever had, you know, experiences with mental performance coaches
2: on the teams you've played on or? I, I never have really used someone through the team, which was just like a personal decision. I, I use like sports psychologists outside of the team. I use a life coach now who now is he he's works with probably 10 to 15 other NHL players. I never really was intimidated by letting my coaches know because my first experience went really, really well. Like, right. When I, like I said, I had this, this weekend where I stepped back, I was in grand Rapids like part of the wings organization, but Mike Babcock was the head coach. Um, and when I told the the staff that I had this issue and that I was dealing with some things, I went to a psychologist. He told me that um, sounds like I was dealing with some depression. Uh, they were, all hands-on supportive didn't they didn't use it against me in any way I ended up getting called up and the next year I was playing with the Red Wings full-time and, and Babs actually was was very like hands-on with what was going on and I know Babs has a sports psychology background and I know there's obviously two some negative things about him but for me it was really refreshing knowing my coach was willing to work with me and also like I felt value in that, and it helped me perform better, and it helped me feel more comfortable and He would bring me in for meetings and check in on me which which made me feel more comfortable and at mm-hmm. the end of the day, that's what you want out of your athletes right
0: mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, i mean it was I, it was good i I, knew, I mean I never played high enough hockey where we had a, <laughs> a mental performance coach or any of that shit but uh i uh and you don't
2: have one right now with your beer league team
0: oh man i I wish <laughs> no I, bring uh, me out. Bring me yeah. Out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah can we pay in beer yeah um i i mean i work with a psychologist and or i guess a therapist and um and i think even for me i think the biggest thing is you know like making that appointment and like i think it probably relates to your athletes as well like the hardest hurdle for a lot of people is just like actually taking the time to like make that appointment and like sending that email and making that phone mm. call and then obviously once it's booked it's like okay well it's booked. Like I need to hold myself accountable and I need to go. But it's interesting because I actually just got an email from my therapist yesterday, and same thing. I mean, she was like, you know, I I am super proud of you. Um, I just listened to podcast with you, and I just want you to know that I'm still here and my door is always open. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that is just like, oh, like it's so good to hear from you. And and I I I'm sorry that I haven't maybe been around as much, and I am but that's exactly what it, it's all about. It's just like that open communication and that open door policy. And I mean, she's amazing. And she's somebody that, you know, I'll, I'll forever um, hold such fond memories of because she was able to bring me out of my shell and and do a lot for me. Um, and not just mm-hmm. because of hockey, but just because obviously life and trauma as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't got much else on that, but it's just, uh, it is fascinating how much, you know, that that communication, but also like that good, challenging. I think, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I think there is a certain amount of challenging these athletes and challenging these patients or challenging these individuals. I think that really does come into play. And I think that's Mm -hmm. something that, you know, I find as though my therapist did such a good job of, of, you know, when I would go on a, a tangent or I would ramble on about something, you know, she would look me in the eyes and just challenge me in that space and challenge me in that moment. And I don't know if that's something that you like to do as well with your kids but I think there is a healthy amount of you know healthy amount of okay I'm going to challenge you right now and I think there is growth Mm -hmm. that can come in that so I don't know if you want to touch on that so I actually love that and I think there's a lot of value in challenging your athletes and that actually
1: ties really well back to the importance of building relationships and building rapport because when you do that and you build that trust and you have that relationship that makes it that much easier for athletes to be open and receptive to having difficult conversations, you know, imagine the first time you meet your therapist, or your mental performance coach, they're challenging everything you say, you know, it's, athletes are probably more likely to get defensive and, and withdraw and, you know, but versus if you have that relationship and you can have those more difficult conversations, um, you know, just makes, it makes the work that much easier. So definitely there's, there's a time and a place to challenge your athletes and clients. And I think it's important to be perhaps selective about when that is, um, but you know if you can do it in a healthy amount and you know ensure that you have pretty good rapport before you do that, um, in my opinion, it it can do wonders.
2: Are you a reader at all? You must be. You must right. Am I? I love reading. Wrong of me to pursue? Yeah, <laughs> no, right.
1: no. Did six years of school. I, I hope <laughs> I, was I like reading. Say, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say
2: that would be this is kind of a yeah. dumb question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Um, my life coach recommended a book that stuck with me and i don't want to say changed my life but that it's that's pretty dramatic but it definitely allowed me to sort of take a look in the mirror and 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 i learned some good tools from it leadership and self-deception it's called okay i don't know if you've ever read that one but the basis of it is just like how much your brain wants to be right in so many situations Mm -hmm. so when like you aren't playing well your brain goes right to like, well, it's my coach's fault. He's not playing me enough. Or it's my line mates' fault because they aren't finding me enough. And it's so-and-so's fault, whatever, whatever. Rather than like learning, it's hard to do, but you learn to sort of start feeding your brain more positive food. And and you kind of focus in on yourself and what you can do to make the situation better, um, communicate with your linemates more, tell your coach, maybe some things that you're thinking rather than just, building these thoughts up in your own head about how he's perceiving you and then starting to hate him for it or starting to think he's like, he's, he's um, taking something out on you or he's treating you some type of way. And it really like, it, it really was interesting because those things happen so much. And I'm sure you hear that a lot of conversation about like, I'm not getting enough ice time and I'm not playing with the guys that I wanna play. So it is nice to hear that that's a focal point for you that maybe sometimes i mean it's a it's a tough way of putting like take a look in the mirror it could be you but it is it's it's the case a lot of times so i like that so
0: riles has left us um but at the end of the day i think uh i you know riles and i just appreciate the fact that you are doing what you're doing and i think that is a profound thing because like we said before youth sports is it's gone crazy and i mean there's a lot to it and the fact that you are willing to work with these kids um, and not just kids, I mean, NCAA athletes as well. I mean, they're going through it and it's, I can't even imagine, you know, playing at that level. And, um, but I know that Riles and I, you know, you covered everything, man. And we, uh, we just really appreciate the fact that, you know, you came on and you wanted to come on and appreciate what you're doing, especially with just seeing your work in the mental health space because we touched on it. I mean, it's uncomfortable, it's difficult. Um, but uh, the fact that you have, a love for this and the love for the mental skills and a love for the fact of yes hockey is predominantly a physical sport there's a lot of mental that goes into it and Mm -hmm. if you're not at a good state mentally and if your well-being is not well then I mean you know it you deal with these athletes Um, I just hope that these kids are taking the time to take care of themselves and I think the biggest thing is we appreciate what you're doing. So, I mean, Taylor, once again, um, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for sharing your your knowledge and your wisdom with us. Oh, pleasure
1: is mine. Thank you as well. You know, you you and Riley are both doing great work yourselves, and um, you know, you guys just keep doing what you guys are doing, and you know, I'm sure it's only up from here. So, appreciate you having me on, and I'm I'm looking forward to listening to this once it's posted.
0: Much love, brother. Appreciate it. This episode is also brought to you by BioSteel, zero sugar, essential electrolytes, great taste and pure hydration. Join the likes of Connor McDavid, Alec Manoa, Andrew Wiggins, Brooke Henderson and Patrick Mahomes on the BioSteel train. It's time for you to try BioSteel with our SYM25 discount code that will get you 25% off at checkout. Yep, that's right. I will gladly attest to this being the best hydration drink on the market, SYM25 at checkout.